Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by BlackRifleCoffee.com. Put down the water and grab a fucking drink. drink, 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 drink. Welcome to Drinking Bros Sports Companion Show. Yes, we are back again. It's going to be another fine Wednesday. This is real. Like the, the last one was not a test. This, this is real. This is going to be going on all the way up until the Super Bowl. We've got a, a gambling sites that's going to be our chief sponsor who's coming on in a couple weeks. So you'll be able to, to gamble along with us all the way through the fall. And we're going to have some athletes on. We're going to not only just athletes, we're going to have uh, people from all walks of sporting life uh, on the show. And you might ask yourself, what do you mean? What else is there to sports besides athletes? Uh, you have announcers. You, you got trainers, you got people in the know, you get, you get some fucking bookies, um, some gamers who are out there. We're going to have all of them on the show. Uh, this this week is, is no different. One of the, the biggest requests we get is, uh, hey, man, I, I'm interested in sports casting. Um, why don't you have like a sports caster on the show? Talk about it. Uh, I love sports. I would love to announce sports, uh, which I'm sure is, look, a, a lot of people's dreams. And today's guest is actually living his dream. We've got Dan DeUva uh, on the show, who is the Las Vegas Golden Knights announcer and their play-by-play guy. Um, if you don't know what a play-by-play guy is, that's, that's the toughest job in, uh, in announcing sports because uh, you're going real fast and you can't fuck it up. Look, we've all played armchair quarterback at home. We're sitting there watching the game saying, ah, oh, dude, you fucked up that guy's name. It's, 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 it's Favre, not Favre, um, you know. Or, or the touchdown's going to the wrong guy or the, you know, the goal scored by, the, by a different player. And you're like, who fucked that up? It's the play-by-play guy. Uh, tough job, and, uh, but an exciting job. And, and, and it really is a, a childhood dream. And to be good at it and great at it, especially on a professional level, like our guest today, takes a lot of skill and practice. And uh, it, it was a, a fascinating dude to sit down with. And you really got to to go inside uh, his mind on, on why he started, when he started, and, and why it was important to him. And, and I think it'll be a cool show for you guys at home. Uh, in the meantime, don't have that many sponsors right now because uh, we're, we're really getting dialed in here probably around the August 1st area. Uh, so in the meantime, we got BlackRifleCoffee.com. Um, obviously, you know BRCC. You love BRCC. Uh, but you're going to love... This part about BRCC even more is that we got a new promo code. Oh, yeah. In case you've used your old promo codes of Drinking Bros for 20% off at BlackRifleCoffee.com as a one-time use. In case you've used uh, the Ross Patterson Revolution promo code, Revolution, for 20% off for a one-time use. And you're like, fuck, man, I'm out of promo codes for BlackRifleCoffee.com, and I want to get some cool shit for 20% off. We got a new one. It's just sports. Type in the word sports, um, lowercase or uppercase, I don't give a shit, on BlackRifleCoffee.com and take advantage of all of their new products. Um, their, their new products uh, involve coffee mugs, uh, apparel, uh, fucking, they're, God damn, their new t-shirts are fucking amazing. Um, and, and they got some of the, the finest coffee on the planet. I would highly recommend using it on the subscription of the month, uh, their coffee club of the month. That's the biggest savings, and uh, the coffee gets delivered to you every day, um, the exact same date of every month, uh, or you can get it delivered to you every day. Jesus, that'd be a little extreme, but I'm not going to put it past you. 
Um, I get the K-Cups. I'm a K-Cup guy. I like to get it in me and get out the door. But uh, their, their bags are amazing, and they got a bunch of new blends out there. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use the promo code SPORTS for 20% off. Uh, with that being said, we'll have a, a couple more sponsors uh, that are that are joining us as of August 1st, and uh, we'll get to know them a little better as we go along. But in the meantime, uh, let's hop into the show, shall we, kids? Uh, this is Dan DeUva. I love that name. I love anybody with a, an apostrophe in their last name. Um, he is the current uh, play-by-play announcer for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Welcome to Drinking Bros Podcast. We got Dan Holloway. We got a special guest today. Who's our special guest? Our special guest is Dan Duba. Oh, boy. Do you hear the excitement have, in his we voice? We have enough Dans. He's, yeah, we've got several Dans here today. One of them is slightly more uh, eloquent on the radio than I am. <laughs> It's um, a it's a double Dan show we have double today. Dan show. Wait, yeah. there's a third Dan. I didn't realize there was a third. Da- oh no, you're talking about me, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're definitely talking okay. about you. Well, it's very kind of you. Yeah, yeah I, I want to look. I'm going to dive right in from the top. You've you've got an apostrophe in your last name. This I'm always curious about this. How much this fucked you up from an early age? Because the SATs. Even that box, that check, you can't write the apostrophe in it, can you? I'm going to pull up my wallet and see how many pieces of identification or credit cards actually have the apostrophe, because it's not too many. No. They never add it, do they? No. 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 I could keep digging here. I knew it. I think, uh, oh, you know what? The good folks at Syracuse University managed to put it on my ID. So there there you go. But the first five cards uh, did not. (laughs) <laughs> Not very good odds. No, it's it's Italian, and God bless my grandfather for uh, keeping the apostrophe. There are Duvas that came over from Italy and ditched it. Famously, Lou Duva, who's in the Boxing Hall of yes. Fame. He was a boxing trainer. Uh, and then his son, Dan, Dan Duva, the late Dan Duva, yep. who passed away, geez, more than 20 years ago now. Uh, Dan was a promoter and his wife, Kathy, and, yep. and Dino, Dan's brother. So the families are not related. The families know each other. We're from the great state of New Jersey, Springsteen country. Oh, uh, but they boy. ditched the apostrophe. Yeah. Uh, they don't have the apostrophe, so it's uh, Because they, knew, they knew SATs, jerseys, I guess, anything yep. growing up, they're going to mess it up. And they're like, ah, let's just do them a favor and take the apostrophe off. Yeah, but it means of the grape in Italian. So... Uh, Dan likes to drink some wine. There as it does is. The rest of the family. Wait, are you are you saying Dan as in you're speaking in the third person <laughs> yeah. right now? You know, I love a good third person. I'm, no, no, that's I'm, I'm not. You know what? Love, I am. You I know am. what? You know where I picked that up. Unless it's Ricky Henderson, I'm not really. Ross cool. loves it. Dave, Ross Patterson loves it. Dave Gosher, the voice of the Golden Knights on TV, mm-hmm. has a particular fondness for third person references about himself so once in a while it creeps into my speaking and i'm not sure i'm very happy about that uh, i'll happily take on many of dave gosher's traits but that one i'm not so sure is very becoming but we, we love dave it's the confidence though and it's <laughs> like as a man to drop a third person about yourself because then it then it makes everybody else question like who is this guy why is he so important he's dropping his own name in the third person <laughs> ross patterson does that a lot Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Well, especially when there are two Dan's on the same show, this could become confusing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. See, so refer, refer to yourself to myself, in the third person. Third person, we'll give you a full pass. name, though. Yeah, we'll give you a pass. Well, I don't, I don't, you, I, could, you could always refer to yourself as your nickname, right? Which is the Sicilian, the Sicilian soundbite. Sound yeah, that's yeah. that's my my grandmother's side of the family. My brother actually just returned from Sicily for uh, his honeymoon. 
and uh, I've never been Bring to Sicily. No, I, I've never there been to Sicily before, so I, <laughs> I would like to go. Uh, my grandmother did not live to learn of my nickname, the Sicilian soundbite, but it was oh, dubbed that's, by... That's uh, a great nickname. Yeah, it was, it was. it's actually kind of a more recent thing. Mike McKenna, who was a goalie uh, here in Las Vegas, actually, with the Wranglers years ago. I got to know Mike in Syracuse uh, last season, 2016-17, with the Crunch in the American League. And Mike had a radio show in college, and he's among the more talkative hockey players I've ever come across. So unbeknownst to me, he just assumed that Duva, being Italian, I was probably Sicilian. He was right. Um, at least partially, and uh, it's a well, it's a good guess. Yeah, though. There's yeah, it's only a very a good guess. That you guess yeah, from sure. So Sicilian soundbite was creative enough, and it actually has caught on more here in Las Vegas than it ever did in Syracuse. I'm not sure why, but uh, but there you go. Thanks to Mike. Well, let me McKenna. tell you something about drinking bros in the community. Sometimes we like to just buy billboards to troll people. So if you see <laughs> a Sicilian soundbite, yeah. Right. with your face high on above it. the strip you'll yeah. know why i'm like oh why did they why did they do that <laughs> yeah i like it, it. It, it will, we did that if you okay. see it i'm and just saying vegas likes a show they like a good nickname and that's a strong nickname like that's a yeah. uh, that's a whole thing sure it's it, i i don't know if i should have this trademarked i mean i wonder if i can collect on this in some way shape or form i would trademark it yeah People, who do i talk to for everything that. these days yeah i just call a copyright attorney yeah somebody's got to be a couple hundo we'll, you guys we'll know somebody right for the rest oh, of yeah. oh yeah yeah we, yeah. we, 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 we get a bunch of people <laughs> we, we get sued all the time yeah, we, yes, <laughs> are you kidding me yeah, yeah we, we, we have lawyers on retainer so. good well good you can you can loan one to me for, <laughs> yeah, for a little while absolutely, yeah, no. absolutely so i, I want to talk about that this was your your first year uh not only in vegas as a professional hockey team but your personal first year of uh hosting um, radio play-by-play for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, uh, National Hockey League um, is, a, is a step up, of course, from the American League, which is like AAA for those unacquainted. And the American League goes back to the 1930s, 1936, yeah. 1937. They've got the Calder Cup, which is that league's uh, Stanley Cup. And there's there's going to be a 31st team in the, NH- in the American League, so there's an affiliate for every club. It wasn't always that way. But the team that I worked for in Syracuse, New York, uh, was... Was it the Crush? The Crunch, like the candy the bar. The Crunch. The Crunch. Why the Crunch? Good question. Crush would have been made more sense of like, all right, great, you have the orange, the yeah. Syracuse, and then the crunch. That's right. Uh, the, the crunch uh, came into existence in 1994, one of many minor league hockey teams in that city's history. The guy who brought the team there, the, still the owner to this day going into year 25, Howard Dolgan, who had his own background in uh, in boxing and sports publicity and Alan Taylor communications and so on. And uh, he's, he's like a, a Barnum and Bailey kind of a, a, an owner, and he, he's so creative and comes up with all these ideas. And so naming the team back in 1990, 1994, uh, a lot of it, uh, he, he points to his kids who were, you know, at a certain age where sports was life right. in 1994. And Crunch, the physicality, I think maybe the Syracuse Crunch got a sponsor from Nestle, the yeah. candy bar at the time. Or the captain. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that one has come along, too. So, uh, yeah, there are still Nestle Crunch signs in, in the arena in Syracuse. But it's, uh, it's a great history there. They've had the Blazers. They have the Stars. And really, the, the, the cool connection is that Slapshot was filmed in that arena, at least partially. Oh, I didn't, and, I and didn't the, know that. And the team that is in the movie, the, the Syracuse, the uh, the Johnstown Chiefs in real life. It was the Charlestown Chiefs in the movie. It was the Johnstown Jets in Western Pennsylvania. But really, a lot of the characters were based off the Syracuse Blazers, 1973-1974. The movie comes out in 77. Oogie Oglethorpe in real life was a guy named Bill Goldthorpe. 
the broadcaster for the team was Bob Costas, who was a student at Syracuse University at the time. And Bob has these great stories, had an altercation with Bill Goldthorpe on the bus. And a lot of the stories in that film are based on the Syracuse Blazers, the scene in Slapshot where the Hanson brothers climb over the glass and get into a brawl with the fans. That was in Syracuse. Wow. And the announcer who's yelling down, the peanut vendors are standing up to them. If I get down, I'd stand up to them. That's my radio booth, or at least it used to be, at the War Memorial in Syracuse, New York. A great spot that opened in 1951. The Syracuse Nationals won the 1955 NBA championship there with Dolph Shays, among others. So there's a lot of history there in, in old upstate New York. So uh, a lot of fun uh, uh, getting uh, in the uh, the hockey world up there, and you get to hear some some great stories from people who are still around who lived through a lot of that stuff. Is that your favorite hockey movie, though, of all time? Oh, it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So you're going slap shot over Miracle. Because Mir- yeah. Miracle was pretty oh, good. Oh, they did a great job. It, you know, the only thing, I suppose, with Miracle is you knew the ending. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, <laughs> those are two different genres, too. You're yeah. asking if you like Dumb and Dumber or Godfather. Right. You know what I mean? True. Well, look, the, True. but in as far as hockey movies go, you're kind of lumped into one category. And how many hockey movies is there? Yeah. You know, they're, they're Goon. good. Goon. Yeah, they're a good number that when you start to dig into it, uh, they're hard oh, to shoot. That's oh. why, from a Hollywood perspective, mm-hmm. they're too hard to shoot, mm-hmm. and it's expensive. What about that the Mighty Ducks? Scene? I was going to say the Mighty Ducks is has uh, become Ducks popular a kid for a kids' is, movie. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got your your different areas covered. But I still I, go Slapshot, by the yeah. way. Slapshot's still my one. Yeah. I still have an irrational fear of Iceland because of <laughs> Mighty Ducks. So. Oh yeah, a lot of people do. And I don't think there's any threat there at all. No. Well, you never know, though. That's the thing. I know that Greenland is made of ice, and Iceland is green yeah, because like of Mighty Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that's what. I learned. I don't from believe the movie. that's accurate. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and you're from uh, New Jersey originally. You talked about Springsteen. Favorite Springsteen song? Let's hear, let's oh. hear that. Yeah, there yeah, we go. Okay. You know what? I'll I'll go. It's uh, on the darkness in, on the edge of town album. It's uh, third track, something in the night. Okay. Riding down Kingsley, figuring I'll get a drink. Uh, figuring I'll get a drink. See, I can't even talk. I must have had a drink or two yeah, already. Yeah, it's uh, Vegas. Yeah, that's right. So uh, driving through Asbury Park, New Jersey. There's the stone pony, and there's there's this loop. And if you've listened to Springsteen songs, especially from the early 70s, a lot of it has to do with boardwalk life and riding down Kingsley Avenue in Asbury Park. I have done that. Uh, turn I, the radio I, up loud so I don't have to think. I have as well. I spent every summer in New Jersey, actually. Where at? I used to have a house in Long Beach Island. Oh, there you go. Sure. So I've been th- all through that state. Oh, and yeah. Whenever I go back, I hear, hey, Springsteen's voice in my mind, you know? <laughs> Asbury Park, everybody. You know? Like, yeah. you hear it. He used to play down on the island all the time and just mm-hmm. show up. Yeah. Uh, he used to do a lot of, like, pop-up shows at bars sure. back in the I'll, day. And I'll tell you the first time that experience happened for me. It was 2002. I had only had a driver's license for a few months. This is the uh, the summer after uh, September 11th, which means, uh, or 2003, I should say. This is the summer that the record came out, uh, The Rising. Yeah. And so the release was on a Tuesday in July. And uh, rather than just putting a record out, Bruce was going to play on the boardwalk at Convention Hall in Asbury Park. And this is 2003, long before the current... Uh, revitalization of Asbury Park. So everything was boarded up. The boardwalk was not a place to go. Certainly nothing what it had been in in the 70s and nothing like it is now. It's fantastic now. But there was that Howard Johnson on the boardwalk boarded up. People pulled the boards off the the side of the building to go in and they used the grill. They managed to turn the propane on or something. Uh, It was incredible. It's a classic Jersey tale. It's a Jersey story. The only thing that was open was the Stone Pony. 
So here I am, 17 years old. One of my best buddies came with me. He was 16, didn't have his driver's license yet. And we find our way into the Stone Pony. Like, nobody carted us. We just walked in. Yeah. And at some point in the middle of the night, we realized, hey, it's past midnight. We can... Uh, we can go up to the front and buy the CD. So we went up and bought The Rising, ran to my car, and, and popped it in. And, and it's just a, a long, long night. Uh, most of the details I prefer not to share. Yeah. Uh, but then, Dirty um, Jersey stories. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, Springsteen popped in the Stone Pony sometime in the middle of the night. And before you knew it, the sun was coming up, and there were thousands of people on the beach. And uh, played the Today Show was there to cover it. Al Roker and Katie Couric and Matt Lauer and everybody was there. And it was great. I have the T-shirt to prove I was there. And uh, <laughs> went down to Belmar, slept on the beach all, uh, all morning, and, uh, and that was it. Hung out on the Jersey Shore. That's my, great. My understanding is the beach has a lot of like, uh, garbage and needles on it. <laughs> no. No, beach is, beach is New Jersey, all right? You know, the thing about Jersey, for, for those who haven't been, there's so many different towns. There I mean, is, you, yeah. could, you know, Asbury Park is so different than Belmar, which is so different than Spring Lake, which is so different than, talk about LBI, or yeah. down to Atlantic City, or Stone Harbor, Seaside. or Cape May, or Seaside. Yeah. yeah. You know, Point Pleasant, there, there's so many different towns. There's a town for everybody, and some of it's more family-oriented and all that, but uh, I have enjoyed a good chunk of the Jersey Shore. And if, if you've been only once, that means you haven't been to enough places at the Jersey Shore because there is something for everybody. Yeah, there really is. And, and, and each one of those is different. Like LBI is more family. Seaside is more Jersey Shore, MTV. Oh, yeah. Um, I had to sign a, a waiver once at Karma. Yeah, you did. I had to, you know, I, I, I'm not one to go to Seaside uh, too often, but when you have friends from out of town and they've never been to New Jersey, uh, you know, especially at a certain time in my life, you, you, you oh, we got to go to Seaside. We got to go yeah. to Karma and Hemingway's and all, you know, Headliner and Belmar. And, and uh, okay, sure, I'll show you the house and the, the TV show. And, and then you're, you're, you're at these places, and you're like, what am I doing here? Like, are we sure that this is where we want to be? The fact and before that you, you know it, NDA is crazy. Well, well the, the, somebody comes over, and, you know, and you're like, who the heck is that? Oh, it's this girl. She's like four foot ten, and oh, my God, that's Snooky. And like somehow a camera pointed towards her might have clipped you in the background. So just in case they need to use that shot on the TV got show, your you've got to you've got to yeah. sign something. So they got a producer running around with a clipboard. It was it's it's reality TV, but I never realized how fake it was until I saw it in person. It's crazy, it's crazy in real life, right? It's just it's not even close. No, but yeah. then there's the real life Jersey Shore, and I don't. It might have been before that. I'm trying to remember all the different stories through the years. But I remember a friend visiting, and we had gone to uh, to. Uh, I'm not sure if I should mention the the particular place. Nah, go ahead. Fire DJs yeah, in Belmar. And uh, we were going to go, and I think it was like a Tuesday. My buddy from Maine had come to visit, and we'd gone from Atlantic City to North Carolina and back. My cousin was living in Belmar at the time, and it was ladies' night. And my cousin said, I'm not sure you're going to want to go there tonight. I said, why? It's, it's ladies' night. Ladies this this night, is yeah. when we would want to go. It's yeah. Like, yeah, but there was a stabbing at ladies' night last week. I'm like, what? And you're thinking, how bit like was there, you know, gang violence or yeah, you know yeah, so yeah. what? It's like no chick fight. Girl stabbed another girl with a broken bottle. Wow, <laughs> another classic Jersey. Story. Another classic Jersey story. <laughs> so we went and did not get stabbed, so it was okay. Uh, but but those are two of the the you know the more notorious Jersey Shore stories. I have so many more wholesome stories. I'm not sure that that would be quite as no, interesting. No, uh, we don't care about those. But at that's all. that's uh, that's life at the Jersey Shore. Uh, I I love it, and, and uh, you know it's just driving down there was was home for a little bit at the end of the hockey season, and uh, I I still have uh, a 1993 Nissan 300ZX. 
It's only got 138,000 miles on it. Still it runs Jersey? pretty well. It's in actually right now it's in Massachusetts, but I keep it in Jersey in the off season. And when I was home, I'd take the T-tops off and you drive bet. down Ocean Avenue and turn up the Springsteen uh, as loud as she'll go. Of course Absolutely. you did. Of yeah. course you did. That's so, right. So where did you go to college, and why did you get into ho- hockey announcing in particular? Yeah, you know, growing up in North Jersey, you, you hear all these great sports announcers. And in, and in hockey, Mike Emmerich was doing the Devils. Sam Rosen was doing the Rangers. Howie Rose doing the Islanders. And those are just the TV broadcasters. Marv Albert had done the Rangers on the radio. Mike Miller on the radio for the Devils. And on and on. So uh, I played baseball. My dad had played baseball in college. I still love baseball. But football and basketball, you name it, I did pretty much every sport. Hockey I love. When you grow up in New Jersey, I was 10 years old when the Devils won the Stanley Cup. Right. Nothing better can happen to a 10-year-old kid than winning the Stanley Cup, especially since the Rangers had beaten the Devils the year before. That was just crushing. Yeah, and you're in a tri-state area with Jersey uh, Pennsylvania and oh, New yeah. York who are they're all diehard hockey fans. Oh, yeah. And again, the announcers you just named – are the best in the business. Right. So you, every night you can turn on a different game and watch all of those For sure. teams. Oh, you, totally spoiled. And and I, and I, in retrospect, realized how much I benefited from hearing all those voices. The hockey guys, the basketball guys, football, baseball. And I could go on, on and on. I could you know sit here forever just listing the great voices I listened to. And now it's easier because of the Internet and you can get all that stuff. But, you know, you used to turn up the radio and see yeah. if you could get announcers from Philly or from Boston and so on. It's still it's still the best way to listen to sports, oh, in my it. opinion. I, I think so, too. It's more intimate. You, you get to understand the, the teams and the people more yep. closely because I, I of radio. I know a lot of people who actually still do this. They listen to the radio broadcast either when they're in the stadium or they turn the TV broadcast right. down and listen to the radio. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. know plenty of people. Well, still because do that. you for for the audience at home, when you're you're watching a national game, they're calling it, you know, non-biased and like, "Hey, here's here's what's happening and, you know, maybe so and so made a great play." But when you're listening to the local announcers call a game, it is it, it there's there's a sense of urgency about it mm-hmm. that just isn't you can't get that with yeah. like normal people. Yeah, and, and, and Mike Emmerich gave me the advice a long time ago when you're a team's announcer versus broadcasting for a network, how, how do you find that balance of being objective so that the listener can trust you, but also you're broadcasting for the team? And it was simple advice, kind of obvious, but it made a lot of sense. He asked Lou Lamarillo the question. When he was with the Flyers, Flyers fired him, Devils hired Mike Emmerich. How am I going to handle this? You're the voice of the Flyers. Now you're the voice of the Devils. Right. He said, be real. Everybody knows that you're the voice of the devils and you're going to want them to win. But that doesn't mean you sacrifice your objectivity. They still need to trust you. So be real. Yeah. Be real. Uh, so you don't have to try to be something that you're not. As in terms of content that you provide, Mike always had told me, you know, it's going to be, you know, roughly 60, 65 percent of your discussions will be about your team. Sure. You can't ignore the other team. There's good players over there and you want to know who they are. But only 35% or so about that discussion uh, is going to be about the other team. So that's kind of how I think of being a home team's announcer. Uh, yes, Dan is going to get very excited when yeah, Golden Knights score. Yeah, here we go again with there, the fucking third, third person. person. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. But with, with, with that and keeping it real all the time, yeah. uh, quote unquote, how do you keep it real when your team is brand new? It's, you're the first year in existence. And there isn't a, like a fan yeah. favorites yet. There's nothing to attach yet and most of these guys are coming in through you know one-year deals two-year deals a Mm -hmm. bunch of these guys were tossed away you're just trying to create a team essentially how do you keep it real from day one uh, on the job and be like oh this is my favorite guy i've ever had you're in your first year Uh uh it boils down to to one concept and that's tell stories we uh we are sitting here because you guys like to extract stories from your guests and Mm -hmm. 
that to me is so interesting. We talked about it earlier uh, before we started taping here. It's like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. Who are those guys? Right. Who are those guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there is a curiosity for the Golden Knights coming in, like Wild Bill Carlson. Who is that guy? Yeah. Where did he come? You know, he's got this blonde hair. He's from Sweden. You know, he's scoring all these goals, but he never did this before. Who is this guy? And finding out who the people are, talking to them, their teammates, their maybe former coaches or former teammates, you learn about who they are, not just because they're really good hockey players, but how they got to where they've they've been and and where they're going. And so if I could tell that story um, and and try to help a listener understand who this guy is that scored a game-winning goal, you're going to become more attached to them and become a more engaged fan. Sure. Right. That's something that a lot of uh, like NASCAR is really struggling right now to get millennials to watch their product. And it's the product itself has not changed in 100 years. But what's changed is no one gives a shit about the drivers anymore. Yeah, because they don't. Well, they don't have any interesting stories. They're not interesting people. And I think with all professional sports and and you can, you know, uh, either back me up on this or not. But if you can latch on to one or two guys personality wise on that team, then it yeah. makes it more exciting for the audience. If it's a team yeah. of, of nobodies, it's really hard to get people amped about it. Yeah, and it. you need heroes and villains, villains in sports. Yeah. For sure. It, it's, uh, it's what I, I like to call the, the roughness of texture. Mm-hmm. I didn't come up with that, but I still call it that. Even that's, though you have a... That's uh, weird. That's what, I, that's what I call my sexual positions. Oh, well, that's, no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. that's fantastic. <laughs> the, uh, the Golden Knights have a lot of players new to not only the city, but new to the, the world of hockey, guys yeah. who had not really done anything. And they haven't just snapped their fingers and appeared on a national stage. They've overcome things. It wasn't all rosy. So what did they have to go through? What setbacks did they have to reach this point where they have excelled? And that's what's fun, uh, the roughness of texture. Nobody's gotten here, um, you know, just uh, by, by, you know. Happenstance, you know, yeah. Right, through, by happenstance, yes. So, so Marc-Andre Fleury is a big name. So you kind of start there, and you can kind of branch off. Well, you know, who is Marc-Andre Fleury played against? You know, well, James Neal was playing against him last year in the Stanley Cup final when Pittsburgh beat Nashville. Oh, well, James Neal was in Dallas, so he was teammates with Cody Eakin. And right. you can go on and on, and the more you develop those connections, it's easier, I think, for people to understand those stories. Uh, but but you're right. I, I think that the way that that fans now look at sports is different than even you know 20 years ago when we did care more about the participants um, and who they were. It's hard to even turn on a baseball broadcast without. And I think baseball is really having the trouble with this. They've turned it into a football broadcast where it's constant diagramming and exit mm-hmm. velocity, and right. we're going to break down this inconsequential pop foul down the first baseline with one on and one out in the bottom of the fifth inning. Who cares about analyzing that swing? But they're trying to see, okay, well, football broadcasts have been so good in drawing viewers. Let's take that model and apply it to baseball. Baseball is an entirely different sport. I don't want to watch a baseball game and tune into a science experiment. I want to watch baseball because it's baseball. I don't need to, to know all about the as I say, the exit velocity and, and all this this other stuff. I like baseball because it's baseball. Don't change it on me. I like football because it's football. And I think that hockey has managed to keep a lot of um, what makes it special and enhanced, like, the speed. Um, you know, it is the kind of sport when you see it in person, you're hooked. We try to capture it on TV and radio, but when you see a hockey game in person, I think it's one of the reasons why so many people come to watch practice for the yep. Golden Knights. Right. When you see it, and, and the players on this particular team 
reach out and connect with the fans who come to the games at T-Mobile Arena or the practices here, community events. I think that's really special. The players in, in this sport seem to get that. Uh, they have so often remembered where they came from and they give back. And we've seen that with this particular team in the Golden Knights all year. So I think you're, you're so right about um, getting to know the players. And that's, I think, why we, we love sports. Well, you take baseball, for example, and the things you were talking about, the scientific element and trying to break down more and more and more and more. Uh, my personal feeling is on it, and I noticed the NFL do this last year as well, where they were switching camera angles, is they're trying to make a new style, so to speak, for the kids who are gaming now. So there was, uh, during an NFL game last year, it was uh, Mike Tirico, I believe, was like, hey, guys at home, uh, apologize, you're going to see some new camera angles tonight. We're trying to get the video game effect into NFL the way that kids are playing the game now. So with, uh, with that in mind, when I was watching baseball, and I was thinking about the same thing you said, of, of like the velocity and all this stuff, and it was just like, is Bill Nye the science guy going to come out and announce this? <laughs> like, I don't care. But in those video games for kids, the, the exit velocity, all that stuff is now on the screen. And you're trying to, the, 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 ADA, yeah. uh, the ADHD radio, whatever, you know, is, uh, yeah. uh, ratio is, is so high with kids now that if you're not constantly keep it moving or either a graphic or some kind of fun edit or whatever, I think they check out and they're trying to usher in a new standard of, uh, of fans uh, who are going to be in that world. Where with you calling radio, your radio, and you already have the disadvantage that there's no picture. So you've got to make this as interesting as you possibly can for every single second just to keep listeners hooked. Yeah. I don't see that as a disadvantage, though, to be honest. And here's why I say that. So... If you read a book and I say the word or I write the word chair, everybody in the audience has a different vision of what a chair is, right? So the reason, in my opinion, why everybody always says the movie is, or the book was better than the movie mm -hmm. is because they had a certain expectation of what X was going to look like, whatever X is, the chair, the, the wall or whatever. Sure. And then they see it in video and they're like disappointed because that's not how their brain developed that picture. Now, I, that's why I think a lot of guys still listen to radio and watch TV because they want to hear that detail that their oh, brain absolutely, yeah. can, can map mm -hmm. onto the images that they're seeing. It's it's theater of the mind. Yeah, exactly. And, and it engages you in a way that television doesn't. Yes, radio might find its way into the background of your daily routine. You might be driving in the car. You might be hanging out on the back porch, smoking a cigar, having a drink. And right now somebody's listening to our podcast here and – they could be doing any number of things, maybe riding the bike at the gym. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that you're doing um, while you're listening. But it, it is also very different to be, let's say, you know, at the gym, riding the bike or on the treadmill and watching something on a screen like a TV show versus listening to a podcast like this one. It engages you more. It's much more personal. It's connected with you more tightly. And I think that that's something that television just can't possibly provide. Same thing with, with anything that you might, you know, if you're scrolling through the Internet or something on Twitter. On Twitter, or Facebook, radio, it, it is it is the closest to your soul, I think, yeah. because it engages your senses. You have to think about it, but you're you're connected with somebody else. In other words, when you're reading a book, it, it is it is very much about you. It's it's your experience. But when it's the radio, it's you and someone else. Mm -hmm. right. Marty Glickman always said Marty Glickman is the guy who invented the word swish. Yeah. Voice of the Knicks, voice of the New York football giants, invented HBO Sports, 1936 U.S. Olympian. He said, consider the listener, one, not consider the listeners, consider the listener, because as a broadcaster, especially on radio, 
It's me speaking, and it's you listening. And if you're engaged with me, and if I offer you the idea that it's just the two of us, that connection is is much stronger. So I, I, I think that that's what drives my approach to broadcasting, because I want you to feel as though you're sitting next to me in the booth. You might not be able to see what's going on, right. but I want you to feel like you're sitting next to me. Yeah, I love that idea. I mean, just from a marketing perspective, which is what I do most of the time, um, there's no faster growing marketing industry than podcasts right now. It's going crazy. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's the biggest there is, and, and so much so on my side, too, with uh, being an author, that's even changed where uh, Audible and the audiobook mm-hmm. has become so massive yep. now that they almost want that more than the hardback or the Kindle <laughs> because they can continue to listen to it. Yeah, um, isn't that something? And, and I found recently that I am purchasing books and audiobooks. For instance, when Bruce Springsteen's autobiography came out a couple of years ago, I, uh, I made sure to have the hard Mm-hmm. Uh, hard, hard, yeah. hard, uh, hardcover book, but I also got the audio book, especially when I realized that Bruce himself voiced the narration. Yeah, and it's fantastic. And, and just uh, you go way back. There's a there's a Civil War series that uh, I'm I'm reading, mm-hmm. but also listening to at the same time. And and I I it's kind of an interesting thing that I'm sort of figuring out myself because I love to read, mm-hmm. but I also love to listen to radio or podcasts. And I think that it's because you are drawn into a world um, that you then can step back into. Uh, I know we're getting a little fancy here in, in the whole idea of, of what engages our mind and our senses, but I think it's wonderful. And I think that podcasting has allowed people to appreciate all of this more. And maybe you, you're you're more apt to listen to a podcast. But then, well, if I'm listening to a podcast, maybe I'll, I'll listen to a book on tape. Well, if I like this book on tape, maybe I'll, I'll pick up the actual book and, and read it. Right. Uh, and, and, and similarly, if, if you enjoy hearing a podcast about, say, a sports team or whatever, like we have with the Golden Knights, that might lead you to listen to the radio broadcast of, of the games. So I, I think that it's wonderful. And, and I've enjoyed doing our podcast here with the Golden Knights. And when I'm invited to, to be part of a podcast, it's one of the more exciting interview requests I get. Yeah. Because it's not just five minutes, hey, how are the Golden Knights doing this week? Exactly. What are they going to do on the power play tomorrow? It's fun to have a, a more in-depth conversation. And, and I, it's what I probably spend, in terms of consuming media, uh, I probably spend more time listening to radio and podcasts than watching TV, than scrolling on Twitter. I think that's reading. common. You know, yeah. I, I, and, and that's wonderful, I think. These days people uh, binge watch streaming television. Yeah. Or movies and listen to podcasts. Yeah. For all the reasons that you said before, that they're out doing stuff all the time. Yeah. And podcasts is the easiest way to do it. I mean. For sure. And w- w- would you say Marty Glickman is your favorite of all time? Oh, you know, I, I think your, that he's. your guy? I think Who that, is the one yeah, guy that really changed it for I, you? I think that, that Marty has provided such a great inspiration. The thing is with Marty Glickman, I was very young when he ended his broadcasting career. He was still the voice of the Jets on the radio when I was a kid. My family has had New York Jets tickets since the 70s, but I was, you know. That was the last time they were good, too. <laughs> so congratulations on that. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's, that's about right. I, my first words were, same old Jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a little, yeah. it's going to continue for a few I more years. I think you're probably man. right, yeah. So, I mean, the, in, in the early 90s, uh, Marty was, was still doing the games, but I was too young to truly appreciate it uh, and understand who he was or what he meant to the business. But he lives on in all the broadcasters he mentored. And I think the great legacy is not just that Marty was this excellent and pioneering type of sports broadcaster, and he was a star athlete at Syracuse University, grew up in Brooklyn. He was a football player at Syracuse. I mentioned earlier he 
was on the track team in the 1936 Olympics, but because he was Jewish, was not allowed to compete. And Jesse Owens ran another race in Marty's place, Sam Stoller as well, another Jewish track athlete. Um, and there's a great documentary that uh, was produced by uh, Jim Friedman um, five years ago now, and it, it's still on HBO, I believe. It's just called Glickman. It's an incredible story. Uh, but I, I think that what Marty's legacy is not just excellence in broadcasting, it's that he passed it forward um, and instilled an idea of legacy to Marv Albert and yeah. then Mike Breen and Bob Costas and, and so many others. So Marty had gone to Syracuse, and that's when you asked me earlier about where to go to school. I wanted to go to Syracuse because that's where Marty Glickman had gone. That's where Marv Albert went to school. Growing up in New Jersey, Ian Eagle was the voice of the New Jersey Nets, now the Brooklyn Nets. Is Ian Eagle his real name? Yes, Oh, I still have a hard time yeah. with that. I figured after the yeah. 80s movie, he was just like, man, let's change it to <laughs> Iron Eagle. Because no, it's, it, it's, 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 it should be Ian, obviously, it, it, but yeah, Ian but sounds better. He like has, Ian's earring, right? Yeah. He has so many jokes about that. It's uh, He's got a book, I think, of all <laughs> the comebacks he has. Uh, his son, Noah, is uh, now a junior, maybe going into a senior year at Syracuse University, and is a spitting image of his father. Is you know he what really? he doesn't have is an apostrophe in his name. That's no. true. No. Boom. No, but uh, Ian's dad was uh, was a comedian and was was an actor and and appeared in uh, a number of commercials and was very successful performer. And Ian has taken those uh, those senses of humor and translated that into his broadcasting work. And you know it, it, he's so professional, he's so uh, so strong on the air. When you get to know him personally, his his sense of humor comes out a little bit more. But once in a while on the air, like, he's got a zinger or a one-liner. Uh, and, and I think that when, when I've had some people accuse me of sounding like him, and I think that's one of the best compliments I've ever been paid, is to say that, oh, well, you sounded just like Ian on, yeah, yeah. on that one. That's that's really neat. And there are two – I mentioned Mike Emmerich earlier. I mentioned Ian Eagle. And growing up in New Jersey, those are Jersey's teams, the Devils and the Nets, and I grew up five minutes away from the Meadowlands. So when uh, you, you have two people who've inspired you, uh, those are the two guys who I still, you know, when the Golden Knights offered me this job, uh, after calling my parents and, and a couple of uh, friends, you know, I called Doc and Nyan to, to tell them about the really? game. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. They have been um, two of my, my greatest mentors through the years and continue to be. Whenever somebody asks me for, uh, for references, it's those two guys for sure. So how, how does one come from the Syracuse Crunch? <laughs> to, I mean, the NHL, that's a big boy call-up. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and it really goes back to the first job I had with, with the Devils organization, which was at the AA level, ECHL, Trenton, New Jersey. And the Trenton Devils were owned and operated by the New Jersey Devils. And uh, I had come to know Mike Emmerich quite well. And uh, he and uh, a couple other people put in a good word. And uh, that was my first job in, uh, I guess, 2009 with the Trenton Devils. I'm surprised they could get anyone to Trenton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wait, the, are you sure you weren't the only one that actually would, would be willing to take the job Here's the Here's the, the catch. I didn't live in Trenton. I lived in Belmar at the Jersey Shore. So. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was you driving. You did that commute yeah, every oh, yeah. day. That yeah. was, it was 30, 40 minutes each way, <laughs> oftentimes through the snow. Yeah, I think worth it maybe on that one. I did, yeah, too. Yeah. I did, too. Smart. It was, Smart. it was a great experience, and so many of the players they had there were not likely to make the NHL at any point, but a lot of them had played college hockey at a high level, and we were all similar ages. And to be part of the Devils organization, um, you know, was really an honor for me. It's how many people can work for the organization you grew up rooting for. And that was the start. And then uh, after a few years, the Syracuse Crunch, the American League affiliate of the Tampa Bay Lightning, but independently owned, as I talked about earlier. So rather than working directly for the Tampa Bay Lightning, 
uh, I was working for the Crunch. So there was a little bit of a different experience. There was much more focus on the community. I talked earlier about how much sports fans in Syracuse love their teams, not only yeah. the Crunch, but the Chiefs, the baseball team, and, of course, the Orange, basketball, football, lacrosse. To, to be fair, though, that's all Syracuse has. So. <laughs> that's, that, that might be true. It's yes. like the, the Bills in Buffalo. Like right. Whenever I meet somebody from Buffalo, it's, that's Bills, and that's yeah, their whole life. Yeah. And, that's... and I loved interacting with the folks there. As I mentioned, I'd gone to school in Syracuse, uh, so I, I already knew the neighborhood. And to, to talk to the people there about hockey, and, and I had a sports talk show in the afternoon. I loved doing that because you could interact with people, um, and, and you knew their, their interests. So uh, after a, a great run in Syracuse, um, it was five years back in wow. the Salt City, there is a new hockey team in Las Vegas, and uh, you, you knew you, that it was do you, coming. Do you, now, do you apply for that, or do they come after you? Is it like the minor league system where they're like, hey, let's? there's this one announcer out of, out of Syracuse, New York, <laughs> everybody's been talking about? Yeah, you, you apply for jobs. I think for someone unknown as I am, you have to present yourself as, hey, I'm really reputable, uh, though right. you might not have heard of me. Here is what I've done, and here are some people you might want to talk to who could speak on my behalf. And if, uh, if the tape checks out, if the resume uh, checks out and the references check out, you might be considered. Uh, I know that other people who might have been um, considered for, for major league jobs don't need to go through that because they're already, let's say, famous. Sure. So you just say, uh, I'm famous broadcaster number one. Please consider me. They don't need to send in a resume or a tape. They're just known for who they are. Right. And, yeah, I, I'm sure that teams in, in the process of hiring would reach out to people and say, hey, we know this guy's a good announcer, but is he a good person to work with? And um, that, that sort of stuff gets around. And I, and I was uh, delighted to, to know who did reach out to the Golden Knights on, on my behalf, several people without me even uh, knowing about it. Uh, so, oh, that's great. So, so yeah, so that was, that was pretty neat. And, and the, the folks with the Golden Knights – had uh, you know what? What a task to try to find voices for a brand new team who could share with this market, the National Hockey League, and introduce the players, as we talked about earlier. And uh, it's it's been fun for me to to experience all of that, especially since I get to hang out with Dave Gosher and Gary Lawless and Shane Knighty all the time. Yep. We're kind of a little traveling party, the four of us, and we all come from very different places. But uh, it's been a great great time to to be with those guys doing what we do as you're going through it in the minor leagues do you have the same mentality though as an athlete of like man i hope i get called up to a bigger job a bigger job a bigger job and did you ever give yourself a timeline where you're like all right if the nhl doesn't call me up so to speak by a certain age do i try to do something else or do i stay do you think you would have stayed with the minor leagues forever just because you loved it uh it never occurred to me that i wouldn't get where i wanted to be that's great I had the that's idea. That's how he has the confidence to use his name <laughs> in the third yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I'll tell you where it comes from. In high school, I started broadcasting sports, and I, I mentioned I was uh, I played baseball. I was a very, very average high school baseball player on a very good team. But I broadcast my high school's football, hockey, basketball games, and uh, lacrosse, um, and uh, and I was close with the guys who were playing because they were my friends. And then uh, you're thinking about this is a realistic career path. I love sports. Um, the Yes Network had just come into being. I started 
working as a runner for New Jersey Nets telecast, hanging out at the Meadowlands. And this is when I was going into my senior year of high school. And you're thinking about, where am I going to go to school? Is this going to be legit? And I remember the goalie's dad, Sean Engelhart, was our goalie one year in high school. And his dad came up to me and my broadcast partner, Guy Benson. Guy, by the way, is now a uh, contributing, um, he's a Fox News contributor and a published author. And he's a political editor at Town Hall Magazine. He and I broadcast sports together in high school. And uh, Sean Engelhart's dad came up to us at the end of hockey season at the team banquet and said, you know, the first year you guys did this, it was nice, it was, it was cute, but this year you guys were pros. You guys really did what you needed to do. We were impressed. And it was at that moment we're like, this is not just a hobby. This is really something. Yeah. And, and Guy wanted to go to Northwestern. I wanted to go to Syracuse, and, and we did. And the thought was going into our senior year of high school, how are we going to keep doing this together? Uh, we're going to different schools, but we've obviously, you know, clicked and done something really successful here in high school. And the Cape Cod Baseball League presented itself as a great option. Uh, there was no broadcasting there. Guy's family had vacation in Cape Cod, and we, uh, I went up there and with Guy on vacation and his family, and we uh, got to know the people at the Chatham A's. And long story short, we proposed a broadcasting plan for them to do the games on the Internet. And so when we graduated from high school, we were on the air in Chatham the next day. And the thought there was, if this is the place for the best college baseball players in the summer, why not the best place for college broadcasters? The best college baseball players are here. The best college broadcasters should be there. Well, one summer we had six first-round picks, Evan Longoria, Todd mm -hmm. Frazier, Andrew Miller, Todd Jared Frazier, Hughes. by the way, a world, uh, Little League World Series winner. Yeah. That's right. Oh, he yeah. made us nice watch that tape. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times. <laughs> now, that, what's weird is this was 2005. That had happened in 1998, seven-year difference. Yep. Yeah. We're talking now, that's 13 years ago, 2005, that he was playing for the Chatham A's. But, uh, but that's where the mentality started, though. Um, you know, once you have found some success at something, you think, I really enjoy this. Um, I think I'm pretty good at it, and people keep giving me opportunities based on what we're doing, and uh, that continued for me. So the, the thinking was be versatile, and so hockey, I'd done hockey in high school, of course, but did some junior hockey in Syracuse, uh, a, a great broadcaster who's no longer calling games in the American League, but still doing some of the new professional women's hockey is Phil Jubileo. He was doing the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, and he'd given me an opportunity to go do some games up in Bridgeport. Long story short is, that's how hockey happened. The Devils had an opening at the time that I was looking for my first full-time job, and, and it worked out. So they keep offering me hockey jobs, and I still take them, and I've loved each one of the jobs I've had in Trenton, in Syracuse, and now here in Vegas. But I've managed to stay close with the Chatham A's. So in the summertime, uh, though I have not been the broadcaster for the Chatham A's since I was in college, I still recruit, hire, and coach the student broadcasters Really. There. That's cool. So the, Until you get big enough to really forget your roots. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, and, and, it, and I love it. It's fulfilling, and it's a great place to be, but it's in the tradition of Marty Glickman. It's a way to give back. Yep. Uh, the people who have done so much for me as, as broadcasters, I can never properly thank a Mike Emmerich and Ian Eagle for what they've done for me, but I can pay it forward to the next group that, that's coming along. And similarly, the organization, the Chatham A's, who took a chance on two high school kids from New Jersey. Sure. And now it, the way it's grown is, is remarkable in the last 15 years. Uh, all the teams in the league not only have broadcasters, but a media team of writers and photographers and video and all this stuff that has grown up. And we just started with, with we were, you know, two high school kids, you know, talking into a couple of microphones. So uh, I think that that's why 
I, I, I'm driven to give back to that organization, the people that gave me a chance. And I love it. It's, it's a lot of fun. So uh, just as we're sitting here, I've been getting text messages from the crew. They've got a doubleheader in Falmouth today, and it looks like uh, they're winning in the early innings. Look at that. Look at that. You never stop announcing oh, no. and letting the audience know what's going on. That's right. On. Absolutely. <laughs> so when you get to Vegas, what was your expectations realistically of this team when you get here? I mean, you've got to be amped that you're calling an NHL game, but it's an expansion team full of a, a bunch of castaways. But let's, let's preface that by the fact that the NHL did the expansion draft much differently this year than they have in the past, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just uh, there, were, there were less players that teams could protect, so if you could just – Go into that a little bit. For yeah, me. right. And, and it's worth noting that the last time the NHL expanded, there were two expansion teams. Yep. In other words, right. the, the talent pool was, was half as good as it would be now, even if the process was the same. Uh, the process was more favorable, and there was only one team. So the Golden Knights were going to get some, some really good players. George McPhee was also shrewd in collecting players with large contracts that would be coming off the books eventually so that he could get prospects. He said, we'll take this big salary – uh, player, and even though he's not really going to play for us, we'll take his salary, but you got to give us a couple of draft picks. Mm-hmm. So that, that was something that a lot of other teams wanted to do. And would there be these other side deals? So we don't want you to take our goalie, so we'll give you this player if you agree to take this player. And that happened quite a bit. Uh, look at, say, the Minnesota Wild. The Golden Knights got Eric Howa and Alex Tuck because the Wild didn't want the Knights to take a, a goalie there. Uh, same thing with the Florida Panthers. Here's uh, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marshes, so because we don't want you to take this other guy. Right. So uh, the way that all played out, we probably didn't recognize at the time what a swoon that was for for the whole situation. I think that even after the expansion draft, when you're thinking, hey, George and company did a good job in assembling this team, not just for now, but positioning themselves for the draft in the next few years. They still were looking at the Knights as bottom of the league. Yeah, uh, Scott every, Burnside. Every prediction I saw was oh, yeah. last was last place I, in I, the league. Scott Burnside is a terrific hockey reporter. Had been at ESPN last year, covered the Stars. Now he's yep. at the Athletic. He's he's a terrific writer, terrific reporter, and he does weekly rankings and his mm-hmm. preseason rankings. Right, you know, not back in May or June, but right before the season was starting, uh, in training camp, he had the Knights pegged thirty first, and the reason was. They're weak down the middle. And there goes William Carlson, who scores 43 goals and has the best plus-minus in the league. And the Knights forget about being weak at center. It might have been one of their great strengths with Mm -hmm. not only Er uh, William Carlson, but then Eric Halla and Pierre-Edouard Belmar, even Cody Eakin. And and really, it was one of the team's strengths. So when you talk about expectations, I didn't see that happening. No, absolutely not. (laughs) No. But the thought was, and I think it really manifested in the first game of the season in Dallas. Marc-Andre Fleury stood on his head. James Neal scored a late goal to tie it, and then the the late goal to win it. Knights win 2-1. to one. F- uh, Fleury's incredible. James Neal is the hero offensively. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. There you go. Fleury's great. Hall of Fame caliber yep. goalie. James Neal, the one sniper offensively. Great. Except that's not how they won the rest of the season. Sure, Fleury was outstanding, and Neal had a very good season. But the, the story really was the depth and which players who hadn't achieved much of anything before – rose 
to the occasion. And uh, whether it's William Carlson, um, you know, defensively, someone like Colin Miller, who just signed a four-year contract with the Knights. I got to talk with Colin just the other day, and, and he said, we didn't have expectations coming into the season. They were not projecting themselves to be a last-place team or a first-place team. They were simply going to go to the rink every day and try to get better and try to win. Now, that's oversimplified, but Gerard Gallant hammered that message home to the media, but most importantly to the players. So no one was too big for the team. No one was going to have a hierarchy, well, these are the veterans and here are the younger guys or here's the captain, here's the – that didn't exist. It really was a balanced team, and I think it's no coincidence that they did not name a captain. Yeah. You had different yeah. leaders in different parts of the team, and one guy could step up in this instance, another guy could step up in that instance. Did they have some good fortune? Of course they did. But – um, they made their luck, I think, because I of their commitment. And to, hustle, yeah. to, to, and, and, and then the, the weird thing about the success early, Marc-Andre Fleury gets hurt in the fourth game of the season. Knights had won their first three in Dallas, in Arizona, then the memorable home opener against Arizona. But then the fourth game, home against Detroit, Knights are winning, going to the third period. But in the second period, Anthony Mantha got a knee on Marc-Andre Fleury's helmet. We didn't know it at the time, but Fleury had a concussion. So Flurry was not himself. Detroit manages to score a few in the third period. Detroit right. wins the game. Flurry then misses two months. And to go through four goalies after Flurry was incredible. And a lot of opposing coaches had said that the absence of Flurry forced the rest of the group to figure it out a lot sooner. In other words, you could rely on Flurry. He's sure he's Hall great. of Fame goal. Yeah. But without that that security blanket, you got guys who are coming in. Malcolm Subban had played two NHL games in his life, yeah. and he got pulled in both of them. Yeah, in both right. of them, yeah. Uh, Oscar Dansk had never played in the NHL mm -hmm. before. He gives up a goal on the first shot he faces, but then wins the game in overtime. Then gets a shutout a couple days later against Colorado. Uh, and then to Max Legacy, who really shouldered most of the load in the absence of three goalies ahead of him getting hurt. Could you imagine Max Legacy? Talk about, you know, a story for a particular guy. He's the fourth goalie yeah. on an expansion team, and he's the guy who leads the team through this rough patch. And by the time Flurry comes back in December, the Knights are in a position to take the division lead. Yeah. I mean, some of the best games of the season were in December. They go to Nashville and Dallas. They win those games. Uh, Malcolm Subban has the terrific shootout performance, beats his brother with the dad in attendance, and then Tampa Bay Lightning come to town. Best record in the league. Light the best up. game I've seen uh, yeah. in the regular season in person. Knights win it 4-3. to three. Shea Theodore with 2.3 seconds to go on the power play. So when Flurry came back, it was a different team than the one he left two months sure. earlier. It was a more cohesive group, a team that had found the balance. And I think that that's what we were surprised at finding. Guys who had stepped up, like Braden McNabb is, is someone who keeps coming to mind, uh, who put himself on the top pair with Nate Schmidt. Yep. And Nate Schmidt, even in the first couple of games of the season, wasn't getting first pair minutes. So I, as they figured all of that out the first couple months of the season, they opened eyes. And then when you thought they would plummet and the air would come out, they didn't. They just kept on going. Yeah, and that was the really incredible part because yeah. I was here watching games from the very beginning since Black Rifle Coffee sponsors the team. Uh, and there was always that impending sense, well, this is a great story, but at some point it's going to, it's right. going to end. And, and then it, it never, never fucking ended. Yeah, it, right. ne it never ended. Yeah, it's funny because then when they win the first game of the Stanley Cup final, that was the first time I thought – they might actually do this. Yeah, I, because I, I, I was there. I was at game one, <laughs> and, and I thought that too. And I was like, "Oh my god," um, because I was new to uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, I, I'd never been to a preseason game or regular season game, anything. And 
as an outsider, someone who lives in North Carolina, I've been to Vegas a million times in my life. I didn't know whether Vegas, the city, would get behind a sports team the way they did. And that game one, the atmosphere inside that arena was so incredible. I, I haven't experienced anything like it. I've been to yeah. Super Bowls, uh, you name it. That was yeah. easily the most craziest uh, electric atmosphere I've I ever mean, been around. I was in games back in uh, October of 2017, and it was still that loud. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, because I was a believer after game one. I was like, all right, great. Uh, then I'm with the fans. Great. All the people in the streets just watching the game from oh, outside yeah. the arena w- was was incredible. And then uh, and then the story started to play out of the people who were betting at the beginning of the season on the 500 to one <laughs> odds. And then because yeah. Vegas yeah. was getting real nervous yeah. that the, the, the Golden Knights were going to win and then they have to pay out all these exorbitant odds for yeah. the team. I, and I don't know the numbers, but I would have to think that the increase in gambling on hockey on the NHL went through the roof. And I don't know how much that might offset those losses if the Knights had won it with 500 to one odds. But walking around Las Vegas in the last year, and of course I'd been here prior to this hockey season and moving out here, but there's hockey on TV everywhere. And I don't just mean when the Knights are playing. They've got the Golden Knights games on TVs at the sports books. You walk into any of the casinos along the Strip, um, people are watching hockey games. They're like watching it, college it, it hockey used, now. Yeah. It, it never used to no, be like that out here. Certainly no. yeah. not. So, so there's, uh, and again, I, 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 I'm not uh, someone who's really into the, the sports betting as a participant, more so just in observing. So I, I think that there, there is such a, an increase on the focus of hockey, and whether it's one year or over years down the line here, that uh, those those uh, sports books that yeah. might have stood to lose a great deal with the Knights' success, I think that they were making up for it pretty well with all the other ways the Knights were contributing to interest in hockey and well, the attraction Well, they, they definitely needed else. the Knights to lose. <laughs> I mean, for real. Like, it was in the millions. And I remember, because uh, we have a uh, gambling website who sponsors one of our sponsors on this show. How about that? Exactly. And I, but I So every time I'm in town, I go and bet on a game or whatever the biggest thing is. Mm-hmm. I bet on the UFC fight the other night. Uh, I bet on uh, game one of the Stanley Cup when I was here. And I was surprised when I walked up to the cage that Vegas was the favorite. In game one against the Washington Cap, and I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. And yeah. uh, I think because Vegas had gotten behind it, I want to say the not the the conference finals, but uh, the series before is when they Vegas actually started listing the Golden Knights as the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. And I was like, <laughs> there's no way this is real. Um, but crazy. the way that they were playing at the time, they, sure, they just swept like the, the best. Yeah, they looked like yeah. the best team. There was. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it was interesting because the Knights had so long earlier clinched the division championship. The, the last few weeks of the season were, I don't want to say meaningless, because they did manage to, uh, you know, they, they could have moved up in the standings. Nashville ended up as the number one seed and Winnipeg number two and so on and so on. But really, the Knights had achieved the regular season goal, which was to win the Pacific Division. So you've got home ice in the first couple of rounds and they beat the Kings and beat the Sharks. But when they were going into the playoffs, they were resting guys or injured players that might have been playing if the games mattered, weren't playing. Could they just flip a switch and play the way that they had earlier in the season? And the answer was yes. And and to beat the Kings in the way that they did was 
one of the more impressive parts about the season. They held the Kings to three goals yeah. in a yeah. four-game sweep. And then in game three, they were trailing in the third period and then won the game. And then you're, you're on the brink of elimination. The Knights won in four games, of course, won nothing with Braden McNabb, the former King, scoring the goal against yeah. us all. Like, you can't make it up. Uh, but I think that that was impressive to me. The Sharks posed a, a different kind of threat, and that was a longer series. Uh, in fact, the longest of the four series the Knights played, but the Knights came out on top. And then after the, the first period against Winnipeg on the road, it was all Knights after that uh, yeah. and, and winning five games. Uh, and then the way it started against Los Angeles – or pardon, against uh, Washington. I thought they had <laughs> it. Like, I thought – This uh, is it. Yeah. Yep. Not to be. Not no. to be. And it's, it's, it's interesting because the, the – one of the threads we talked about was the break between rounds. In other words, sure, uh, you know, Boston uh, against Toronto, great series, Boston wins, and Boston has an impressive win against Tampa Bay the first game of that series, but they're spent. Yeah. And so Tampa then just runs away with it. Same thing with Vegas against Winnipeg. The Predators and the Jets had a great seven-game series, and Nashville maybe had some carryover into game one against Vegas, but after that they just couldn't keep up. The difference between... Those series and what happened in the final was there was a break. You know, Washington had a few days, not just a day to, to regroup. They had a few days to reset. And I think that that is, even though they had a long series in the previous round, I think that uh, was a great equalizer. And uh, it's, it's interesting how instead of just one day, uh, one day between games, they put in that travel day. So the Stanley Cup final ends up being played over a longer stretch of days than any of the three opening rounds. So just... Just an interesting difference, and I wonder if the schedule was kept the same way, if perhaps that could have been uh, a, a, how the series might have changed if that were the case. Well, considering how yeah. the Knights played during the season with regard to their tempo, I, yeah. I think that's probably – I mean, it's like the Golden State Warriors where they're just yeah. running constantly. If you make the games closer together, prob they're probably going to suffer from that at some point. Yeah, yeah I agree. What, what do you think about next season? you think the, the Knights can get back there? you think they can win it all? Yeah, well, I think they can. Uh, I, I don't like to get into the business of predictions. Um, I, I like to, you know, see things as they develop. Um, sure. Like last year. Uh, <laughs> so uh, here's the, the, the interesting part about it. Will Marc-Andre Fleury have the same kind of career season that he had last year? Now, he missed two months, and you don't want Fleury to be out for two months. But because he was out, it allowed him to play pretty much every game right. down the stretch. And he was fantastic down the stretch, and in particular in the playoffs. It was the greatest regular season and one of his best postseasons that he's ever had. Can he, at age 34, do the same thing again? You know, you, you don't know in terms of health. I mean, he's in incredible shape. But, um, you know, you're not going to have a goalie just sit out for two months. And I wonder that break, even though it was because of an injury, if that allowed him to stay fresh longer. Sure. That's something you can't possibly project. The players that contributed in a big way this year, like William Carlson, who goes from six goals to 43, I mean, he's not going to score 86 goals this year. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. not going to yeah. happen. So who might be the player to step up? Is it going to be someone like Alex Tuck, who had a very good rookie mm -hmm. year? It's going to be Tomas Nosek, who had a very good rookie year? Or will it be someone like Tomas Tatar, who was acquired at the deadline? And though he has been a 20-goal scorer in his past with Detroit – he didn't have the, the big-time contributions you might have hoped for a deadline acquisition. What does the fourth line look like? Ryan Reeves was signed to an extension, so is he going to be a regular player on the fourth line? The fourth line had been pretty much set with Will Carrier, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and Tomas Nosek. So 
the first line has got to be the same with yeah, Carlson, yeah, yeah. Marcheseau, and Smith, but with no James Neal and no David Perron, like you're going to look at Paul Stastny on the second line, probably with Alex Tuck. Um, do you put Eric Halla there too? That's uh, two centermen on the same line. Do you move Halla down to a third line? If so, who do, who ends up as his wingers? Is it Tatar? So you start thinking about the lineup. Yeah, there's there's a lot of questions, but yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you. I think it starts with Flurry, where you know when you have a Hall of Fame goalie, yeah. in particular in hockey, that that's a big safety net. Yeah, uh, I don't think in any other sport one player can. I mean, other than maybe LeBron James, one player can make such a difference. Yeah, by by you, position, you by virtue of the position, yeah, you can't do it in baseball. Yeah. Uh, Mike Trout is the greatest player in baseball. Is having the greatest statistical season of all time. But the Angels aren't that good of a sure. team. Yeah, no. and even if you're a, a, a top-notch starting pitcher in baseball, yeah. you're not going to pitch every, every game. Every fifth day, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it, they, it, can't, it, they can't roll out Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers no. every night. Right. So I, I totally agree. And if you've got a hot goalie, there's not no, necessarily there's the best hotter goalie, than a hot goalie. Right. Yeah, you might have a hot goalie in the playoffs, even if in the regular season that goalie might be particularly average. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury himself, prior to this year, he had a grand total of just two Vezina votes. He never was a legitimate Vezina candidate for best regular season goalie. He's always been highly respected and reliable. But the last couple of years, I mean, he was giving way to Matt Murray, the younger and presumably future goalie for the Penguins. It's so interesting to think about what Flurry has been for this franchise so far. But as a goalie who is getting up there in years, how long can he do it? Yeah. And Will just the lightning strike at the right time? Will he be hot going into a postseason? And that's where I think we talked about the forwards and goaltending. The defensemen, it's going to be pretty much at least five of the same guys. Sure. Braden McNabb and Nate Schmidt, Shea Theodore, Derek Anglin, Colin Miller, and somebody else, whether it's John Merrill, Brad Hunt, or perhaps a young player. Maybe there's another acquisition in the offing. But it's going to be pretty much the same group. And what's notable about that group is – they're fast, yeah. and they, they move the puck better than most defensive units do, and that, I think, does a lot to help Marc-Andre Fleury. So if you're wondering, can Fleury do it again? Was last year just a fluke? I think that so much of his success was the result of how well the defense played in the defensive zone and moving the puck so that there wasn't a lot of play in the Vegas defensive zone. I think that allowed Fleury to really succeed. Well, last question, then we'll let you get out of here. Are you living your dream? Is this your dream job, or do you hope to, to eventually switch to TV? Oh, well, you know, TV, I've done some TV before, and uh, I think that they're just like with any profession, you want to be excellent, and if excellence is recognized, it's usually rewarded. Therefore, if uh, certain people decide that, uh, that I'm doing a, a good enough job, they would offer me a, a greater role, whether that's uh, with the NHL rights holder or, uh, you know, I'm not trying to take Dave Gosher's job here. Dave's an outstanding TV broadcaster. But, sure. uh, you know, I, I don't – just as when you asked earlier about, uh, you know, how long might you stay in the minor leagues, I yeah, don't put yeah, a yeah. timetable on that. I, I really don't. Uh, I, I <laughs> It is cliche, and Gerard Gallant made sure it was cliche with how often he repeated it, but it's a day at a time. It's a game at a time. Yeah. And if, if I am focused on what I'm doing um, – then I'll I like to uh, to continue improving and 
the uh, it's a very safe answer. Well, yeah, it, it is. I, I know, but it's it's the only way you can approach your job without getting ahead of yourself. Um, That's true. I, I mentioned yeah. earlier what Mike Emmerich has meant to me, and and one of the other lessons I learned was about how he looks at himself as a broadcaster on a day-to-day basis. And when he was doing the Devils, he was also doing national broadcasting. He's doing a ton of games. How do you stay sharp? He has a letter grade in his head when he goes off the air, end of a game. Then he'll get a DVD from the producer, watch the tape again, and decide, you know what? I might have given myself an A. Felt like a good broadcast. But now that I watched it, that was only B. So do you listen to your broadcast? Oh, yeah. You've got ah, to be self-critical. I like that. Oh, for sure. And then, and what, what's a measure of success for you? Like, you're a play-by-play guy for the most part, right? So, mm-hmm. is it that you call the plays accurately, or that you were engaging? What, what's yeah, your measure? Yeah, it, it, it's a confluence of factors. The energy has to be there. I mean, first thing, most important is the facts. Right. Have you described something accurately? Did you get the player's name right? Did you get the score right? Did you yeah. get the time? And it builds from there. Um, you want to capture the energy of a moment. And there's some room for creativity. Um, I, I don't have catchphrases. No, you, I, know, you I, don't have one catchphrase? No. Yet? Wait, I, you're the Sicilian soundbite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have a catchphrase? No, no. I, I, to me, it, it, that's the right a hot words. pocket. I'm throwing that out. You can take that. <laughs> no, don't. don't that's, say that's that. a ham and cheese hot pocket. Kidding. Don't please don't say that. The I'm right terrible. words uh, come when you when you put enough attention on them. In other words, if you just have a, a go-to catchphrase, it. it in my judgment, leads to laziness because Marv Albert. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's, he says, yes, lucky for Marv. He came along before anybody else had used that very obvious word. I mean, someone somewhere along the way had to come up with, he shoots, he He scores, scores. right? In soccer, it's goal. Yeah. In hockey, we say score. Somebody somewhere had to decide that that's the way it was going to be. You know, Marty Glickman came up with swish. You know, for him, it wasn't a cliche because he came up with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, same yeah. thing with Marv Albert for yes, and Mike Breen with bang. And, you know, those are simple words, but they, they accomplish a goal. Um, some other announcers who have a shtick where they've got something scripted and they it's a whole routine mm. of what they're going to say. Like, that's not for me. That's yeah. not for me. I want to describe something. Um, and if I have the right words to, to provide that caption to, to make a moment uh, more memorable uh, and more appreciated, I, I'll do that. Um, but it's, it's, I, I think cliches end up being rather lazy. I'd like to come up with something original yeah. to, to capture the moment because when Al Michaels in 1980 said, as we were talking about miracle, do you believe you in miracles? Yeah. Yes. Well, no one had ever said that before. Right, right, right. right. He, he came up with that. On you the know, spot. Right, he didn't write that, right? right? No, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm after. And I'm not claiming that I could come up with something as eloquent as Al Michaels did in 1980 at the Olympics. But, you know, you know, when the Knights won the conference championship, I said, you can try and pinch yourself, but you're not going to wake up. This is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. The Golden Knights <laughs> are going to the Stanley Cup. Now, it's not nearly as eloquent as do you believe in miracles. Yes. But it wasn't something I wrote down or scripted. Right. Um, you know, there are a few other moments throughout the course of the season where I thought I, I, I found or discovered the right words in the right moment. Could someone else have done a better job? Possibly. But I was happy with, with how things went. So no cliches. Uh, I, I, I think that when you um, are relying on cliches, you're being lazy. And if you're being lazy, you're not trying to get better. Um, and if it's one lesson I've tried to pass along to my students uh, whether at Syracuse University or in the Cape Cod League or a variety of interns I've had through the years, um, it's uh, the day you think you're good and you're not trying to get better is the day that you're done. Yeah. And uh, so I'm always trying to get better. 
Man, well, you're one of the best in the business, and uh, I'm <laughs> serious. I, it's a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Uh, congratulations on the opening season. We're looking forward to the second season. Hopefully, it'll be just as good as the last, if not a little better, by winning the title. <laughs> and, uh, sure. Dan uh, apostrophe de uva. Um, <laughs> we yeah, appreciate the, you stopping by drinking, bros. Oh, my pleasure, and uh, anytime. And, yeah, I, I'll see if I can come up with any more stories from the Jersey Shore for our next conversation. Perfect, Absolutely. perfect. That's yeah. a ham and cheese hot pockets. <laughs> We're out of here. See ya. Uh, for Dan Holloway, I'm Rob Patterson. Good night, everybody.